1: Conspiracy
2: Show with Richard Saring from Zuma Radio AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. A busy show as usual. Let's get to it. Our panel just ahead: Joel Scousen, publisher of World Affairs Brief, and Morgan Reynolds of nomoregames.net are standing by to talk about U.S. president's uh, apparent backflip on immigration, a deal with the Democratic leadership that it would appear to be a total capitulation, amnesty for dreamers, uh, one that would not be tied to funding for a southern border wall. We'll get to that. Then we'll ponder an intriguing question. Are we living in a computer simulation? The Matrix, author Tim Beckley Who is an authority on UFOs and the paranormal going back to the 1960s, also an authority on uh, the great science fiction writer Philip K. Dick, who was one of the first to posit this idea of a computer simulation. This was later picked up by uh, philosophers like Nick Bostrom and uh, even Elon Musk. Uh, We'll find out um, how likely is that, and is there any way to detect it? if it is if it is a possibility. Of course, we'll have our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box?, and we'll do the big reveal just after the bottom of the hour. Uh, towards the tail end of the hour, uh, hour one, that is, 2017 marks the 100th anniversary of a very special military installation, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. That's right, 100 years ago it was founded, perhaps best known as the location where the Roswell UFO crash debris and perhaps alien bodies were taken. Author-researcher Don Schmidt uh, will be here to talk about that. And uh, in the second hour, Open Lines, of course. Your first opportunity, I guess it's been uh, a few weeks now. You'll uh, be able to weigh in and with your thoughts and comments on all things conspiratorial, conspiratorial and paranormal. Uh, then, author Don Jeffries returns to the program, the author of Hidden History and, of course, his new one, Survival of the Richest. We'll, uh, we'll talk to him about, um, well, a, a wide array of uh, subjects. And that's, again, towards the tail end of the program. Now, just ahead of tonight's panel, it's time for our weekly remote viewing experiment. Here are your coordinates. All right, remote viewers, direct your attention to the cigar box resting on the desk to my left here. In the Zoomerplex studio, that's 70 Jefferson Avenue in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Allow the size, the shape, color, and texture of the object to form in your mind. And you can tweet your answers to me, at Richard Serrett. At Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Make sure to follow. And you must use the hashtag TCSRemote. And for the remote viewer or remote viewers who correctly identify uh, what's in the box, some fabulous conspiracy merchandise will go your way. If you're a fan of the show... Why not show it off and help support our work here at the same time by visiting the online merch store at theconspiracyshow.com. Theconspiracyshow.com. We have mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Again, that's the online merch store at theconspiracyshow.com. Remember, you must tweet your answers to me at Richard Serrett and use the hashtag TCSRemote. Good luck. Uh, Last week, uh, President Trump's supporters were aghast when the uh, president huddled at the White House with Democratic Senator Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and Democratic Minority House Leader Nancy Pelosi and appeared to strike a deal uh, or some sort of a general agreement on extending the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. That's called DACA. Uh, American immigration policy uh, reform that would allow some individuals who entered the country illegally as minors to receive a renewable two-year period of deferred action from deportation and to be eligible to work for a permit. That would extend amnesty to the so-called dreamers, the children of illegal immigrants, many of whom are now in their 30s. This deal, according to Pelosi and and Schumer, is not tied to any funding for the southern border wall. Of course, that was the, the linchpin of Trump's Presidential campaign here to discuss is Morgan Reynolds, professor emeritus at Texas A m University, former director of the Criminal Justice Center at the National Center for Policy Analysis, headquartered in Dallas, Texas. And of course, he is the founder of a terrific website. You can read all of his postings at nomoregames.net. Morgan Reynolds, welcome.
3: Hey, thank you, Richard. Good to be with you again.
2: Likewise, my friend. Joel Skousen is the publisher and editor of The World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service, a political scientist by training and speaks multiple foreign languages, which he uses in assessing information here and abroad. And, of course, the website is worldaffairsbrief.com. Joel, thank you. How do people subscribe to your newsletter?
4: Well, they can uh, go to the World Affairs Brief website and press on the big red button. But they, before they do so, I encourage them to email me at editor at com for a free sample issue.
2: All right. Um, to you first, Morgan, is, um, is what we're hearing true? Is this a, a total capitulation from President Trump? Uh, In terms of immigration, he seems to be he's not calling it amnesty. He's insisting these people will have to pay back taxes. But he's no longer talking about, you know, deporting 11 million people. And some are suggesting that he's 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 willing to make a deal with the Democrats. And it may mean that that he doesn't get it's not tied to getting a commitment for funding for the wall. Your thoughts.
3: Yeah, lots of uh, supporters of Trump uh, who are in the media have called it a massive collapse, a betrayal of his base of, uh, of the first magnitude, but uh, we, can't, I, I can't quite agree with that yet. It's certainly um, uh, way, uh, a way weaker position that he's talking about than his campaign speech in Arizona at the end of August 2016, which sounds like it was written by Steve Bannon. There will be no amnesty. Our message to the world will be this. You cannot obtain legal status or become a citizen of the United States by illegally entering our country and so on and so forth. And, of course, he had a 10-point plan, which included blocking all funding for sanctuary cities. The the number one was, uh, of course, the wall. And now it uh, seems that's uh, on, on unsteady ground as well. However, uh, this thing is going to play out over the next uh, six months, at least. And uh, he got his um, attorney general, Jeff Sessions, to uh, send a rescind the executive order from Obama uh, that created DACA uh, to uh, wind it down over the next six months. So. Uh, It's in play. It's uh, up in the air. It's a messy political and legal situation. Now, the reason one more point, Jeff Sessions came out on September five because the Texas attorney general said we're going to go ahead with this suit to get rid of DACA. And they already uh, got the uh, courts to get rid of the DAPA for parental thing. So uh, they were under a deadline and Jeff Sessions met that deadline. So the, the Texas attorney, and he's uh, allied with 25 other states, uh, backed off. And I, I think he should have just plowed on, filed these suits. And you know you've got Neil Gorsuch as the fifth vote that would be supportive to overturn this whole thing. Meanwhile, California's filed suit to keep DACA.
2: Joel Skousen, is this a capitulation, or is, he, is this more Trump maneuvering and deal making?
3: No, I think it is a
4: complete capitulation. Not uh, in, in the in terms of political uh, maneuvers, it was a real disaster to set it off for six months, and then you allow the media to lobby Congress with every sob story of victimhood and uh, how special these people are, till it becomes almost politically impossible for the most Republicans, except for the Liberty Caucus, <clears throat> you know, to vote against the problem and. They're already preparing legislation, which includes giving the parents or bringing them in uh, to legal status as well. So it's not just the 800,000 uh, uh, DACA, but also the parents are going to get in on this legislation. What they're aiming for, uh, for of course, is, is complete uh, immigration reform and a package that will provide a path to citizenship for not only uh, these people, but their parents and many other illegals as well. Now, look, this was a, an illegal... Uh, executive order. You cannot change law with an executive order. Obama did so, and the courts agreed this is illegal. Uh, And so it's important that Trump should have stood up and declared it illegal and rescinded it immediately. But by postponing for six months, then he gives this terrible pressure on Congress. And, uh, you know, you have all the Democrats are going to go vote for a uh, to make it legal uh, through legislation. And then all of the liberal Republicans are going to join in on board. And so I think it is a sellout. Worse yet, though, he calls up Nancy Pelosi after this meeting. And by the way, you postpone the debt limit now and the supposed wall till December 23rd, and nobody's going to effectively shut down, do a partial, correct shutdown of government. And that's the way to do it, is a partial one where you don't inconvenience people, but you take care of. You shut down the unnecessary unconstitutional parts of government but not the parts that uh, you know are important uh, you know to people but you're not going to do that on December 23rd
2: no it won't happen then uh, morgan it will his base i mean they've, they've they've been willing to forgive just about anything but this one seems to be core uh, certainly to his his campaign and and kind of a non-negotiable with many of his supporters will his will his base forgive him this one if it is a capitulation
3: yeah, it's surprising how uh, patient they've been. Um, I, I abandoned Trump after his uh, reinforcement of our military effort in uh, Afghanistan, but um, I agree with Joel here that uh, it's not smart politically. But they they don't have the reputation of being the stupid party for nothing. It's uh, the Democrats. Their bottom line, of course, is the the more immigrants uh, that are seventy percent, eighty percent, bigger government and, and pro. Democrat the better for us And the Republicans are always Intimidated uh, morally It seems they're just not uh, Confident in the and that's uh, You know Trump supposedly I mean he, he seems so emotional uh, in, in terms of Changing positions you know Okay we got miniskirts in Afghanistan That supposedly swung them. You've got you know All kinds of absurd oh, It's about the children well I can't be seen To be anti-child so uh it's, it's just so easy to beat uh, uh, up the Republicans. That's why we've got a $20 trillion debt uh, disaster everywhere. It's
2: exactly. going down. Joel, uh, will his base forgive him this one?
4: Well, they don't have any other place to go. Uh, but he's not going to get reelected if he lasts that long. I can guarantee you that. His base is down to 35 percent at best. It's going to be a pretty solid wall because there's no place to go. But you can't get reelected with 35 percent.
2: Morgan Reynolds, uh, no moregames.net, uh, the latest uh, blog entry, what can we look forward to?
3: Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs>
2: All right, my friend. Well, let's just direct people there. There's a lot of there's an archive there with some terrific articles. no and Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief. Once again, how do we subscribe?
4: People can go to worldaffairsbrief.com and click on the red subscribe button or get a free sample issue by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. This week's issue is a major update on the 9-11 investigation.
2: Terrific job. All right, Morgan, Joel, thank you both.
3: You're welcome. Thank you.
2: Tim Beckley, an authority on the great sci-fi author Philip K. Dick, is standing by to discuss synchronicity and living in a computer-simulated reality. Stay with us.
0: Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Our big reveal for our weekly remote viewing experiment,
2: What's in the Box, coming up after the uh, bottom of the hour, along with a mailbag and uh, Don Schmidt, author of um, the real Area 51, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, that uh, military installation celebrating its 100th anniversary. And we'll take a peek inside Hangar 18 with uh, Don Schmidt towards the uh, end of the hour. Open lines, of course, next hour. And uh, John Jeffries will be here with us later in the program. Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All. Oh, and look look at that. Forward by Richard Sarrett. There you go. Uh, Don is also the author of Hidden History. So much to discuss uh, with him. All right. From uh, philosopher Nick Bostrom to tech giants. Like Like Elon Musk, many have suggested that life as we know it might just be a sophisticated computer simulation. The hypothesis continues to grow in popularity, but it was perhaps science fiction writer the late Philip K. Dick who first popularized the idea that we are living in the Matrix. Here to discuss is Tim Beckley, a pioneer of the UFO paranormal, going back to the mid-1960s when he founded a well-received organization, the Interplanetary News Service. He's a publisher of nearly 300 books, of which he has authored 40 or so, and was editor for 11 years of UFO Universe, a nationally distributed newsstand publication. Excuse me. And he was editor for 11 years of uh, the Bazaar. Uh, sorry, 11 years of UFO Universe. Uh, he's co-host of Exploring the Bazaar and CEO of the YouTube channel Mr. UFO's Secret Files, he is the author of, as I say, over 40 books, including his latest, The Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and the Paranormal Synchronicities. Tim Beck- Beckley, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
5: Well, you know, I've been doing this for so long, I've turned into one of them. I, I swear. it's uh, it's, been a long, it's been a long road. You know, 50 years now I've been uh, uh, involved in this. I got started back... Um, uh when i had my first sighting around 1957 and uh i started c- collecting um old reports from people in my area in new jersey and writing letters to the e- editor of the local newspapers to try and get all the information that i that i could and uh somehow it just kind of sprung into a um uh, a career for me i must say that i'm probably uh, one of the few that has actually uh, stayed in the field for uh, this long, and uh,
2: you certainly uh, are. You're you're a true pioneer, Tim. You're right up there. You know, in terms of longevity, with uh, the great Stanton Friedman, and uh, uh, you know, you've you've just been hammering away at this for well, in your into your sixth decade. I do want to ask you. About Philip K. Dick. Some people, a lot of people, may not be that familiar with this late great American science fiction writer. Just give us a bit of a a thumbnail sketch of who Philip K. Dick was, and then I want to talk about his hypothesis that we're living in a computer simulation.
5: Well, you know, he was a um, uh, um, a popular uh, science fiction uh, uh, writer, but more so after he uh, passed away. Uh, He's been deceased now, I think, for about 25 or 30 uh, years.
2: Yeah, he died young. uh, He was only 53.
5: Yeah, uh, indeed. And, uh, of of course, I guess he's probably best known for some of the movies that were uh, made based upon his uh, literary works, which would include uh, Blade Runner and uh, Total uh, Recall and the um, Advantage Bureau. So uh, he's, he's... better known, I would think, for the movies that have been made around his concepts than anything else. But he lived, for a science fiction writer, he lived a very bizarre uh, uh, life. I mean, I don't know how you, how familiar you are with the science fiction uh, field, but there seems to be a general lack of interest among uh, fandom in anything that can be uh, considered uh, paranormal, whether it's UFOs or ghosts or uh, even the conspiracies. They... They have been uh, indoctrinated by their hierarchy, Uh, people like Isaac Asimov and uh, uh, Ray Bradbury and Arthur C. Clarke, to believe that uh, this is all bunk. But Philip K. Dick, Dick didn't believe it was bunk because he had uh, any number of uh, personal uh, experiences in his own life.
2: Right, now, I I want to ask you about that because a lot of this steam, seems to have stemmed from a rather mystical experience he had after some dental surgery in the early 1970s and he went on to sort of chronicle this uh, in, yes, a, in a in a journal. You
5: know, he he made a statement and I I read this uh, from the back of uh the um the um the book uh, actually and um Uh, He said, and he made this statement at a science fiction convention in uh, France in 1977. He said, people claim to remember past lives. I claim to remember a different, very different present life. I know of nobody who has ever made this claim before, but I rather suspect that my experience is not unique. What perhaps is unique is my willingness to talk about it. We are living in a computer-programmed reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some uh, alteration uh, in our reality uh,
2: occurs.
5: And uh, you know, at it, it first you would uh, well, you have to see the reaction of the people in the uh, the uh, the audience. The uh,
2: slackjawed, the, the I'm sure,
5: fiction,
2: <laughs> the slackjawed. Other science
5: fiction writers in, in the fandom. Uh, there's a, a clip on the YouTube where he's making this statement, and people in the audience are just looking totally befuddled. And, and, and totally bewildered like this guy is completely out of his uh, mind. And, of course, he, he came up against this attitude uh, over the, uh, the course of the remainder of his uh, uh, career. Now, basically what he believed is that uh, history is not constant, that there could be any uh, number of realities going on at the same time, and it's possible to be living in more than one existence. In fact, he recalled uh, a life as uh, uh, back in the uh, time of uh, Jesus, and he sp- uh, learned to understand and speak the language perfectly, uh, even though, of course, he supposedly was, uh, was never there and had no training uh, or skills in, in foreign languages, uh, uh, per se. But uh, over the course of the uh, years, he had any number of, like, synchronicities and weird things that took place in his life to um, lead him to believe that we are actually in a computer simulation or are living in the Matrix. In fact, the movie The Matrix, even though it's not based on his book, he was the, uh, any of his books, it, it was, he, his was the concept that uh, was adapted for this uh, uh very popular uh, franchise of
2: uh, movies. Right. Let now. me just remind listeners uh, Tim Beckley is with us, uh, the author of The Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and the Paranormal Synchronicities. But when he talked, uh, Tim, when, when Philip K. Dick talked about uh, living multiple, having memories of multiple present realities, not past lives, but multiple present realities, to me that speaks of parallel universes, not necessarily a computer simulation. Explain what on the surface seems like almost a contradiction.
5: Well, you you know, uh, everybody that's had these uh, synchronicities, and I've had about 50 or 60 of them that I relate in the the book, has has kind of a different uh, concept. This is nothing, obviously, that you can uh, uh, really uh, pin down, uh, even though those in the uh, uh, scientific and uh, physics community are starting to come to grasp uh, with this uh, issue. Uh, Some of the popular researchers who have uh, noted uh, the the weirdness in all of this and the strangeness involving this would be, of course, Charles Fort. Now, uh, Charles Fort, of course, wrote uh, uh, four very popular books, and he is considered the uh, granddaddy of the uh, paranormal and the uh, supernatural. And he believed, Richard, that uh, we were being controlled, that humans were... Part of the, some galactic chess program, and somebody out there uh, was moving the uh, the chess uh, pieces. Of course, John Keel uh, spoke about this uh, as a, a form of kind of a, a, a spectrum.
2: Sure, the Isn't author it, of the Mothman uh, prophecies. In his
5: book, in his book uh, *The Eight Tower*, he talks about these towers being having been implanted uh, in the Earth, uh, uh, you know, millennia uh, millennia uh, ago. And even Jacques Vallée, who was recently in New York here to give a presentation for the Philip K. Dick Film Festival, spoke about some of the synchronicities and, and weird things that have uh, been happening to them. And it, it, it ties in with UFOs. It ties in with the life uh, after uh, death. I mean, I've had a lot of the things that have just been so strange that you cannot find an explanation for them. I mean, uh, you know, people say, oh... I thought of somebody, and they called on the telephone the next day, or I woke up, and it said 444 on the clock. I wouldn't even include that. Uh, but let me tell you one a story. I'll yes, have to please. Make it quick Because obviously we don't have that much time. Um, back in the 1970s, I was uh, invited to speak to a UFO group in San Francisco. I had never been to San Francisco uh, before. I knew the people that were organizing the event simply through correspondence. Uh, my talk was on a, a Saturday at night, and I was due to leave, oh, I think at a uh, rather late flight, maybe 4 or 5 o'clock on Sunday. So we had some time to kill, and we decided to have uh, brunch. And so we picked a, a, a restaurant at random. None of us had ever been in there before. I repeat, I had not been in San Francisco either. Uh, during the course of our chit-chat, I happened to mention that there was at least one gentleman I should have called on the uh, telephone because he used to... Uh, a lecture for our group, the New York School of Occult Arts and Sciences. He was a very well-known medium and psychic and writer by the name of Alan Vaughn. In fact, he edited for a, a number of years a very slick magazine called Psychic. This was sure. in the days of publishing, uh, you know, Empire, when publishing and magazines were still going big. Well, do you know that five minutes later, Alan Vaughan came walking through the, the front door of this restaurant, Hmm. Never rest- been in the restaurant uh, before either. Here's here's a town, uh, a, a city of almost a million people. What are your chances of running into somebody that you're discussing? I mean, we're not even talking to say, hey, you know, you run into somebody on the street that you knew. That's happened to me many times. But you're, uh, we were just discussing this uh, this uh, individual, and he pops through the door, walking his uh, door. Walking his dog, so he sits down. We have a little laugh over this, and I said, "Alan, by the way, what are you working on these uh, days?" Because he was uh, uh, was putting out a number of paperbacks in those days, and he said, "Well, you know, I'm working on a book on synchronicities and coincidence. I guess I'll have to include this." (laughs) And and indeed, it it is uh, included in the uh, in the book.
2: Well, well, aside from synchronicities, uh, and and that's sort of a universal thing for those that are paying attention. You you know, you can start to chronicle the synchronicities.
5: say that but I disagree with it I mean people have told me oh you 've got to be on the lookout for it No, these are so strange and so weird you don 't have to be on the lookout no for
2: no it. what i 'm saying is some yeah. people they just they happen and they 're blind to them but they 're staring us in the face, but i 'm saying that the synchronicities are they do occur they 're happening to all of us, but some people just they 're not paying attention is what i 'm saying but yes, my but is do you believe that there are other ways that we will be able someday, whether it 's quantum computing or something, to be able to to detect? Either parallel universe or a simulated reality.
5: Well, you know, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm not a, uh, a physicist or an, a, a, or a, a, a scientist. I, I leave that to other people to uh, to comprehend or to kind of map this uh, out. All I know is that I, I can uh, uh, study the case the histories, and, and some of them were some very remarkable uh, people. Uh, there was a uh, an individual by the name of uh, Dr. John C. Uh, uh, Lilly. Uh, who had many different degrees. In fact, he was the inventor of the flotation uh, tag If you remember, that's that right. In the, in the 70s, was very popular. There was well, a book called "Altered he States"
2: that was based on on his work, yeah, I believe.
5: Yes, I believe it was right. And he had he had a uh, odd series, uh, a continuing on series uh, of uh, uh, synchronicities with some what he believed was a group of of individuals or or, or members of some higher uh, he called it the synchronicity review board and he thought that they were controlling uh what was going on here on the uh, the earth maybe controlling people's destiny uh, even well i don't know if i'd call that for there there are several uh, theories that we can look at and say well who is behind this well perhaps a a, a, a giant computer was created back in, uh, during the time of creation i mean maybe this is the whole explanation for uh, the creation uh, uh, myth, uh, and uh, it could have been uh, that uh, whoever uh, constructed this uh, uh, matrix uh, left uh, back in ancient times. Perhaps they come and uh, revisit us uh, from uh, time to time, but maybe they have this uh, uh, syn- these synchronicities kind of on automatic pilot, because you never know when they're going to occur, and you know. They're not necessarily. They're very random. Some of them are positive, some of them are can be considered negative, and some of them have absolutely no meaning whatsoever. It 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 almost seems. I guess you're familiar with kind of media, the, a uh, the trickster uh, element. Uh, Chris O'Brien, of course, has written uh, right. uh, about that in relation to the animal mutilations and and so forth. So it 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 really is a mystery. I mean, uh, I think we're just getting to the point where. Uh, the idea of multiple uh, universes and uh, dimensions are being considered where they were not uh, even thought of before.
2: Tim, final question. Do you believe that the, the, the computer simulation hypothesis explains most, if not all, paranormal activity?
5: Oh, that's a giant leap. But it, it, do, it does tie in with the, uh, life after death. In fact, um, Philip K. Dick had a number of very unusual experiences with um, the late Bishop uh, uh, Pike, whose son had uh, uh, committed suicide in a room that I slept in without even knowing about it. Oh, I, dear. I, I could go on for hours just dis- uh, dis- discussing this. And we,
2: listen, i tell happened. you what we'll do, Tim. Uh, yeah. in, in, a, in a few months, we will uh, circle back, get a hold of you, and we will book an hour just to talk about this okay. more in depth. All
5: right. I think I can explain. Uh, I can explain maybe perhaps it isn't the uh, right word. But. In the meantime, oh, this, this was responsible. a nice... We are responsible for the technology of today.
2: This was a nice primer for next time. Tim, thank you for this. You're welcome. Tim Beckley, the Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and the Paranormal Synchronicities. Albert, my fine producer, we will get Tim back on and we'll schedule an hour. The Big Reveal, what's in the box next, and Mailbag, coming up, The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away.
0: The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Coming
2: up in the uh, next segment after the next break, Don Schmidt, Roswell investigator and uh, author of Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is uh, celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. That's Don Schmidt, Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright Pat. Open lines at the top of the hour. And then uh, Don Jeffries, author of The Hidden History and uh, Survival of the Richest, will join us right now. It is time for the big reveal, our weekly remote viewing experiment. And uh, let's go to, no, let's go around the horn here first. And uh, Ian Robertson, my fine rockabilly friend, using your remote viewing skills, What's in the Box?,
6: uh, I'm seeing something
2: round and orange. Round and orange. The a a, a pumpkin.
6: A huge, pumpkin. <laughs> a huge pumpkin. An enormous pumpkin in a sl- small cigar box. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you mock, sir. You mock. <laughs> no, you, do you want to guess an orange? Oh. Round and orange. Yeah. An orange Maybe that would an stand orange. to reason. All right. A piece of fruit. An orange. Oh.
6: All right. Let's go to uh, Albert Vinzel, my remote viewing friend. All right, I get a a handful of change. I I was going to say round and orange, but uh, Ian (laughs) Ian beat me to it. Yeah, round and orange, like a loony. Or a
2: handful of change. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And uh, Ryan White, my feature producer.
7: You know, I was going to say something round and red, similar to orange. I I had a vision as I came over of like a a clown's nose, Hmm. you know, big red nose. And I came into the studio here, and on this newspaper, The Sunday Star... Uh, it says the world needs more red noses. I see that. So I thought that was quite a sign. Wow. And very similar to what Ian said. You hadn't seen the tr- the, 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 the Sunday Star before no. today. You nope. came into the
2: studio, and there, that's right, right, just above the masthead, uh, is the little uh, story, the, the, uh, the world needs more red noses, and there is a person wearing a clown's nose. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. All right. Definitely. So you're going to guess a
7: clown's nose. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that, at least that's in the, the same location as the box. That's sort true. Of, so pretty right. close. And the, some similar-ish guesses uh, as well coming from Twitter. Let, all right. Let's go to Twitter. Uh, Daniel sees a green green marker or pen. Uh, YY sees a ball, blue, white, and green. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ch- Jane sees a golf ball. Phil sees an egg. Uh, My Info sees one stick of fettuccine. Uh, <laughs> James sees a nutcracker. Durko, an uninflated balloon. John sees your favorite movie on VHS, and Ed sees a chapstick. Interesting.
2: They're all interesting, but none of them are close, I'm afraid.
7: It's a slipper,
2: ladies and gentlemen. In fact, it's the mighty Aphrodite slipper, and she's walking around the house right now looking for it and cursing. (laughs) There you go. A fuzzy slipper with uh, some nice little pom-pom tassels on the side, and it would be her right slipper. So she's hopping around on her left foot as we speak, the mighty Aphrodite. All right. Uh, thank you all for playing along. And uh, let's see. Oh, it's uh, time for our mailbag se- segment. Albert, what's uh, what's happening with mailbag?
6: It, it, just to show you how far I reach this show has, we got an email all the way from Poland. And the person's name is Miroslav. And he says, I am very interested in water engines. Can you please write me back how they work and where I can buy a set? All right. Well, um, I guess a lot of the the excitement over the idea of
2: running a an engine, an internal combustion engine, using only water as fuel, began with Stanley Myers, who posted a number of... Uh, well, after his death, these were posted to YouTube, but they were sort of home movies. He had outfitted his uh, dune buggy uh, with some sort of a, a, a device that... The claim was he was able to drive virtually across North America or across the United States with his dune buggy using water. Uh, Now And then, of course, Stanley Myers was supposedly uh, approached by some people in big oil and they wanted to buy this technology. This is sort of the legend and the lore. They wanted to buy this technology, put it on the shelf... Um, so that the public couldn't have it, understandably so. This is obviously very disruptive. If you can use water to run an internal combustion engine, and uh, then he was, uh, so the story goes, uh, poisoned after a luncheon meeting. Um, now, since his death, there have been a number of uh, individuals, and you can find them uh, online. There are there are there are a lot of uh, individuals and companies, and I'm not attesting to the veracity of these particular stories, but there are. Companies selling what what are called hydrogen kits, and and I do believe that it's possible to disassociate the oxygen and the the oxygen molecules and the hydrogen molecules that are found in water, and ignite the hydrogen, because hydrogen um, you know is is uh, can be kind of an incendiary device. So you know we can we we know about hydrogen fuel, but what's happening is you're, the hydrogen um, when you you can also achieve this through electrolysis. Uh, and so you have kind of a bubbler in, in uh, you have a, you know, a, a water reservoir and a bubbler, and you have your electrodes in there with a, some sort of a silver plate. You separate the oxygen uh, and the uh, the hydrogen molecules, and then the hydrogen is pumped into the intake valve on your carburetor and is ignited. You're not burning the hydrogen per se, I don't believe. you're You're igniting the hydrogen, which then ignites the unburned, fumes from your gasoline Uh, because the thermal efficiency in an internal combustion engine, I mean, it's abysmal. Even, you know, uh, uh, in 2017, I think it's around 25%, maybe 30% thermal efficiency. In other words, most of the gas is unburned. It's wasted in emissions. It's wasted in heat from your engine. Very inefficient. But if you can ignite the hydrogen and then use that to ignite the uh, the unburned fuel, you can dramatically increase the thermal efficiency, maybe by another 20 or 30 percent. That's significant. Saves wear and tear on the engine, fewer oil changes, much better gas mileage, the car burns cleaner. So there are a number of these so-called hydrogen kits. Some are called water smackers and HHO complete kits and so forth. Just go online. Is it Miroslav? Go online. There's a lot of them. And, and you'll have to do some research because, uh, you know, you'll have to decide whether these companies are on the up and up. But there are a lot of people have open-sourced this material, and you can build your own kit. Uh, good luck with that. Let me know how you make out. All right, when we come back, open... Uh, no, Don Schmidt, the 100th anniversary of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, when The Conspiracy Show returns. Stay with us.
0: Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show, with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back.
2: Yes, those numbers will come in handy uh, after the top of the hour, and we will um, proceed with our open lines until the bottom of the next hour. And then Don Jeffries, author of Survival of the Richest and also The Hidden History, uh, will, uh, will join us for the last half hour of the program. Uh, Right now, uh, 2017 marks the 100th anniversary of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Of course, it wasn't called Wright-Patterson Air Force Base back then, Uh, but it does have a very mysterious uh, lineage. And, uh, of course, we're all familiar with the nefarious Hangar 18 and stories of um, uh, alien bodies perhaps being stored there, the, the wreckage. Uh, from the uh, Roswell UFO crashes, perhaps, taken there as well. All of this has been documented in a uh, wonderful book called Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson. And that is uh, by Don Schmidt, former co-editor of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, where he served as Director of Special Investigations for 10 years. Prior to that, he was a special investigator for the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek for the International UFO Reporter. And he is the author of several books about the Roswell UFO incident, and as I say the in, uh, the uh, inside the real area 51 the secret history of Wright Patterson Don Schmidt thanks for joining us how are you my friend
8: Hey Richard good to be with you again
2: So we're harkening back to a book you wrote a couple of years ago but here we are here we are the 100th anniversary Now the Wright Patterson obviously back in 1917 had a different name I guess yes. they changed it to to the to Wright after the Wright brothers who died about that around that time 1918 I think in a crash yes,
8: actually you're correct
2: um, So just give us kind of a thumbnail sketch of when did Wright-Patterson perhaps become so notorious, become the, uh, um, you know, the place where they were taking a lot of this UFO debris and perhaps back engineering and and taking alien bodies and so forth?
8: Well, I'm amazed even to this day that so many people automatically associate Area 51, Groom Lake, with UFOs and even Roswell back in 1947, and yet... uh, Fifty didn't even come into existence until the mid-50s, so some years you know, thereafter. But, but right Field, if, if we accept that the Pentagon is the brain of the military, then all the other facilities, all the other bases would be the arms and the legs. But right Field, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base would be the heart. It's where it not only is it one of the most complex facilities, but you had Air Material Command, You had, uh, as far as the United States Air Force Medical Center Hospital, you had the Institute of Technology. uh, You even have their famous National Museum of the Air Force. But most importantly, they had the Foreign Technology
2: Division. Yes, yes.
8: Foreign. And back then it was called T3. And if they had acquired, recovered any armory, any technology, any weaponry from any foreign uh, power, it would go to right field. It would go to Wright Patterson for breakdown and analysis. So that was always the, 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 the one, you know, the, the highest uh, curious aspect of Roswell. That if this was merely a balloon or something just as conventional, why did it still go on to wright field in Dayton, Ohio for testing? Now, according to all the press accounts, at the time of the actual flying saucer announcement, Keeping in mind that on Tuesday, July 8th, the United States Army Air Corps at Roswell put out that official press release where they claimed they had actually captured a flying saucer. And then even in that very press release, it stated that it was going on to higher headquarters. Well, all the press accounts at that point stated that it was going on to right field for testing and analysis. Well, going up the chain of command, and the Roswell Base commander, Colonel William Blanchard, his boss was Brigadier General Roger Ramey of the 8th Air Force at Fort Worth, Texas, and that's where they had the infamous weather balloon uh, press conference. Where right. They actually right. switched the balloon for the actual material. Well, Ramey would announce he was canceling the resumption of the flight. You know, it's just a balloon. No need to have it tested, you know, end of story. Well, the FBI Bureau in Dallas at 617 that evening, and I know that because we have a copy of the very telex, they refuted that claim. They stated that based on their phone conversations with Wright Field, the balloon was not true, was not correct. So then... As we describe throughout our book on Wright-Patterson, we have the people on the receiving end, such as General Arthur Exxon and Colonel Robert Friend, and then the multitude of witnesses through the years who have described not only the wreckage arriving at foreign technology, T3, but also the remains, the bodies. And we go through all of those accounts. And now you mentioned the, the, the famous... Uh, Hangar 18. Well, there was no Hangar 18. There still isn't. Uh There is a Building 18, often referred to as the Pink Building, but it was connected by a tunnel, by a vault, to Hangar 23. So from all of our witnesses from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, it was actually Hangar 23, that the remains from Roswell. Uh taken, and then through that underground vault, taken to Building 18. And from there, Foreign Technology, just down from there. And uh, 23 has long been sealed shut. it had been a concrete, a new concrete slab floor, so it has been sealed uh, forever, as far as any connection, to Building 18. But uh, it's just interesting that uh, the building came it became Hangar 18, yes, and it became part of that urban myth.
2: Right, so a little misdirection there. A
8: little misdirection, correct. What's interesting, too, Richard, is that you can take a tour at times uh, at Wright-Path, and as they pass through that area, they'll point to those hangars and say, and this is where we keep the pickled aliens, or <laughs> we keep the aliens on ice. So they have fun with it as well.
2: Inside the Real Area 51, the secret history of Wright-Patterson. Don Schmidt is uh, with us. And there is that story, it may be apocryphal, that came from Jackie Gleason's wife. I don't know that Jackie Gleason ever spoke about it publicly, that his golfing buddy, President Richard Nixon, took him to see alien bodies on ice. Now, uh, he lived in Florida. Yes. Um, Jackie Gleason lived in Florida. But were those, were those alien bodies at wright Pat or were they...
8: No, no, no. no. It, was at a, it was at a facility in Florida, not ah. far from Fort Lauderdale. In fact, we had uh, actually talked to a number of witnesses who described uh, some of the wreckage being taken to Florida for some of the initial testing. What's, what's, what's especially interesting about Gleason is that when he died, it was, it was discovered that he had over 700 UFO
2: books. Yes, he was, a, he was crazy about it.
8: And he, Yes, and what sparked that interest, way beyond just a hobby. And he would become an associate with Dr. Hynek at the Center for UFO Studies. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, Gleason was a, a big friend to a, a drummer, Buddy Rich.
2: Oh, that's right, yes.
8: And on one occasion, Buddy Rich... And Johnny Carson were doing the David Susskind show mm-hmm. in Chicago, and Carson off camera would ask him, Now, why are you, all, why are you in Chicago? And Carson would remark, Well, or, or, or uh, Rich would remark, I'm, I'm here to also visit with my good friend Alan Hynek. And Carson immediately re- responded, That's one man who will never be on The Tonight Show.
2: Ah, uh-huh. interesting.
8: Which, as it turns out, you know, was the case. But you see how these are all connected. So, and so that's why I, I, I accept that there may indeed be some credence to the, uh, the, uh, the Jackie Gleason story and for the fact that his good friend, Buddy Rich, was also very much interested in the subject.
2: Right. So is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, in your estimation, um, still sort of where the back engineering is going on, or have they moved that uh, right. around
8: From all accounts, and uh, it was a retired colonel at Wright Pad who said that Don, you have to realize we're in the heart of a city here, and so it became more and more difficult when you consider like 51 and Nellis Air Force Base, and even like Hughes Aircraft and the Mecca Test Site, especially down in the Southwest and White Sands and Holloman and Alamogordo, New Mexico. They're all you know shielded by mountain ranges and out in the open desert ranges, so. They're, they're well protected as far as from uh, pr- prying eyes, whereas wright Pad, as I mentioned, is in the heart of Dayton. And uh, according to him, and then as others have now talked to us, it was the early 80s, that's when we've been told, that generally everything related to UFOs was shipped out.
2: Ah. So, where then now is the next hotspot? Perhaps the next the next subject of your next your next book? Where is the new, you know, Building Eighteen? Where is the new Wright Patterson Air Force Base?
8: Uh, Colonel uh, George Weinbrenner was head of FTD Post Project Blue Book in the early seventies, and that's when Heinicke was still associated with a project where his his job title was consultant on controversial aerial phenomenon. Well, what else would that be? Mm-hmm. And when we tracked down Weinbrenner to verify that, you know, he just uh, played, you know, ignorant that um, he actually, actually behaved as though he had never heard of Heineck, and we <laughs> knew <that person laughs> he was trying too hard when he was Heineck's boss. Well, um, when he passed away in San Antonio in the early two thousands, he had left word for his good friend Robert Emmenager. And Emenegger, who had written the book UFOs, Past, Present, and Future, and he was a, a famous documentary producer. In fact, he was hired in the early 70s to actually produce a documentary for the Air Force on UFOs. And who would he meet with? But George Weinbrenner at Foreign Technology. And while he sat in his office and he was already you know, asking specific questions about the subject, Weinberger started going into, you know, the flight characteristics and specifications of a MiG fighter and things and behaving as though he was, they were being listened to, as though he didn't want to respond to it. Hmm. Anyway, he said, here's a book. I think uh, this will tell you, you know, all the answers. And it was Heinick's book, UFO, Best Evidence, signed to my good friend George,
6: uh-huh. J. Allen
8: Heinick.
2: There you go. Fascinating. So when
8: Weinbrenner died, he left word for Emma Egger. We have five bodies in Utah. Ah. Uh-huh. And that's where we're focusing now because we have additional witnesses that we that nobody knew about that also okay. fingered a
2: specific facility in Utah. Gotta run, and Don. Get we, on that case. We looking... you bet we would. Thanks, oh, Richard. All right, Don Schmidt. Inside the real area fifty one, the secret history of Wright Patterson, Don Schmidt. Open lines when we come back. Join us.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio.
2: Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. A big hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740, 96.7 FM here in Toronto. And those of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations, uh, the podcast at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, TalkZone.com, and the Zoomer Radio and Conspiracy Show apps, both Fabulous and both free downloads. Those of you watching the YouTube, the live YouTube stream, uh, and those of you joining us in the YouTube live chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Incidentally, we've set a modest goal of 10,000 subscribers for the YouTube channel, The, the uh, Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, check it out and uh, please hit the red sub button. Uh, open lines now until the bottom of the hour. Here are the phone lines, which are now open and available to you in the Greater Toronto Area, 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. one 866 740 7.40. Now until the bottom of the hour, all things conspiratorial and paranormal, and uh, just a, uh, a reminder, a programming note, that coming up after the bottom of the hour, our good friend Don Jeffries, author of Hidden History, Do you remember that that came out a couple of years ago, and then the second edition, uh, which came out last year with a forward by... Former Nixon aide and Trump confidant Roger Stone, uh, his latest is "Survival of the Richest: How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All." Uh, so, no doubt we'll uh, we'll doubt de- we'll delve into both of those uh, works when Don Jeffries joins us at the bottom of the next hour. And um, while we're waiting for the phone lines uh, to fill up, and uh, Ian Robertson is working diligently on the other side of the glass, screening those calls. Uh, let me just uh, check in with Albert. What's coming up on the show next week, Albert?
6: Okay. Uh, next week, we, our half-hour guest is Will Hart on Ancient Aliens, UFOs. That's at 1230. Right. At 1230, we have Freud and Thal. George for, Freud and uh, Nelson Thal for a panel. For the panel, uh, Dr. John Hall on TI's and a colleague of Tim Beckley's. His name is also Tim Swartz, <laughs> another Tim, and he will talk about Nikola Tesla.
2: All right. Now, you mentioned Dr. John Hall. The reason we're having him back on, he was part of our um, – remember, remember the uh, the big special we did on, uh, on targeted individuals. Have you guys been hearing about what's going on in Cuba and how a lot of uh, U.S. embassy staff are being targeted in their residences uh, and coming up uh, with some sort of a mystery illness? Have you been hearing about this, Albert?
6: I, I read the article you sent me. Yeah.
2: Right. So so I don't know what the number is now. How many of of these um embassy staff members uh it's almost as if they are being targeted when you read the description of it. It sounds all the world like some sort of a directed energy weapon. And now this is being reported in the mainstream news and of course they have no clue what could be causing this I and mean, we do we know. Uh but some of the embassy staff are um they they talk about, you know, walking into their, let's say, into their apartment, and then all of a sudden they're hit by this wave of, they feel this wave of energy, and they have, um, afterwards, they experience headaches and memory loss. They have difficulty recalling certain words. Uh, To me, it sounds all the world like some sort of directed energy weapon. I mean, we know the technology exists. We've seen the patents online. So Dr. John Hall uh, will join us next week to talk about that. I mean, this could be, This could be one of those stories that finally sort of breaks through to the public consciousness and people start to catch up on on what's going on and and gives credence to all of these stories uh, that we've heard over the years on this program and others about targeted individuals and electronic harassment and so forth. All right. Oh, let me uh, find out here. Uh, Who do we have online? Oh, how appropriate. Ed in London wants to talk about Cuba. Hello, Ed. Welcome. Yes, hello. Hi there. We were just talking about Cuba. Is that uh, you wanted to talk about these embassy staff members as well?
9: You're stealing my thunder,
2: yeah. All right. How appropriate. All right, Ed. What do you think's going on there?
9: Well, gee, who has the power to do that? Uh, the Americans or the or the aliens?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, a lot of this technology, it's not that high tech really yeah. uh, anymore. I think I think it's available um uh, you know it's it's no longer just i mean yes there's there's other technology that might be beyond the reach of most people but a lot of this stuff uh my gosh, you could probably put put it together by with a trip to uh, you know home depot or something in mm-hmm. the radio shack uh you know microwave ovens it could be modified as a as a um, as a microwave weapon or a gun of some sort an energy gun so who knows
9: uh the, the americans used uh an attack on America and Cuba. It's in 1898, wasn't it? With the Maine.
2: <laughs> the Maddox. Remember the Maddox. The Maine. Oh, the Maine. Remember the Maine. I'm sure. Sh- I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, yes.
9: They got Cuba sugar trade. They got Guam and the Philippines. <laughs> it was a phony uh, excuse to go in there.
2: That's right. Remember the Maine when the uh, the ship blew up in the, the it was it the Havana harbor and um, and then there was the famous line. By William Randolph Hearst, yes. uh, who sent a photographer there, and uh, he said, but there's no war going on. He said, you give me the pictures, I'll supply the war. <laughs> exactly.
9: Well, the news media says there's 21 victims plus some Canadians, and that some have minor confessions. Where's that? In the news media about the Cuban... Uh...
2: Oh, oh, Okay
9: event, They said there's 21 victims.
2: 21 victims now. There were some Canadians involved. Okay. And
9: uh, they have minor, some of them have minor concussions. There.
2: Interesting. A minor <laughs> concussion.
9: One other thing I wanted to talk about, if you don't mind. Yes. I was wondering if you'd ever have a uh, once a month update program or hour or something about some of the old stories we don't hear about much.
2: Well, give me a for instance, Ed.
9: For instance, there's a guy in England, an older gentleman who is creating energy from the ions in air.
2: Energy from the ions in the air. You had him on about uh, eight months ago, maybe. I did? Yes. Uh, do you remember his name? No. No, I'm sorry. Does was, that sound familiar, Albert? Ions in the air. It sounds like you're talking about plasma.
9: He was collecting the ions in the air and producing energy, free energy. Hmm. An Englishman.
2: That wasn't the Searle machine, was we it? We
9: talked to him from England. And There's also my favorite uh, Phil Marshall. Was there anything update on him?
2: The late Phil Marshall.
9: Various other uh,
2: uh okay, let me let me uh I haven't heard of for a while. All right, let me just respond to uh Phil Marshall, who was a former United Airlines pilot uh who wrote the book The Big Bamboozle, uh which um actually it borrowed heavily from uh or it mirrored, in many ways, a lot of the uh, the work that uh, Senator Bob Graham of Florida did in the first 9/11 Commission that we don't hear about. We only hear about the second one. Yeah. Uh, the first one was heavily redacted. He had uh, tr- he and his investigators. He had a crack team of investigators. They tried to subpoena FBI agents and so forth, uh, and they were just stonewalled at every turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, not allowed to speak to many people who who s- who were in the field, swearing up and down that they were tailing. Um, these hijackers on the ground and also the and, um, Saudi diplomats uh, who were shielding them and so forth, uh, then uh, what happened, I met Phil Marshall several times in Santa Monica, interviewed him, had him on my radio show, uh, interviewed him for my television program although that episode was never released uh, or has not been as yet, hopefully one day. Right. Uh, Phil Marshall and I corresponded, f- not, not a lot, but I would say probably over the uh, couple of years that I knew him, there were maybe three dozen emails. And I'm, I'm someone who does not delete emails uh, because this is how I keep – it's not a great way, but this is the way I keep track of contact information. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's just a bit of the backstory. Lo and behold, one day I get an email from someone with a, a link to a um, a newspaper article up in, I believe it was in Santa Barbara. And there I opened it up and there it said, conspiracy theorist Phil Marshall kills own children before turning the gun on himself. Mm-hmm. A double uh, murder and then a suicide. And I tell you, I just about fell out of my chair. Uh, one of the things that I... I do immediately when I learn of someone's death is if I've known them well I go back and I check the last email thread. I don't know why I do that. I just I, I feel like well, what did we talk about the last time and when did we talk? I went into my email and every there was no record of any um correspondence with Phil Marshall. Oh yeah. Gone. All of them. All three dozen. I don't know how that happened. I've heard about theories that uh, Phil Marshall, uh, neighbors have said that they saw a suspicious car outside the house before. Uh, he was found in a gun with a gun in his uh, right hand, but he was left-handed, and all these little different discrepancies. I don't know. I, I can tell you, Phil Marshall, to me, I, I can't say that I knew him that well. He seemed like an incredibly level-headed. He seemed like a, he was an affable person, a likable person. He seemed genuine, kind. Never in a million years would I guess you know that he would do something like that um you know the the argument is that if you want to discredit somebody there's no better way than to turn them into a a murderer and then they kill themselves and they can't obviously defend themselves is yes. is that what happened to Phil Marshall I don't know but if you read the big bamboozle I think he came closer to most uh sort of of tying that whole thing together
9: yes. greatest guy i think
2: well, uh yes, I mean obviously now his whole legacy is tainted, <clears throat> excuse me by you know the allegations that he um you know he killed his own children which is just unspeakable and his dog, and, his dog uh, and before turning the gun on himself. Uh I don't know if there's anyone who's still on that case. I was contacted by some sort of independent researchers investigators. I think they were trying to put a documentary together. I think I had him on the show several years ago, but I'll, I'll I'll look back and see if I can find anything. Uh, for an update on Phil Marshall and this other gentleman that you mentioned. It doesn't ring a bell, but I'm, uh, I'll look into it. All right. Ed, thank it's you so much for that.
9: to have an update show every once in a while. I, I uh, agree with you. Uh,
2: I, I appreciate it. Thanks for checking in, Ed. Thanks for talking to me. Likewise. All right. Uh, do we have time for one more, uh, Ian, before the break? No. He's waving me off. So we will, uh, we'll check in with Rob in Mississauga who wants to talk about Ros- a Roswell spaceship. And uh, Scott... No, well, we may get to Scott, we may not. We'll see what, if we have time. Come back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Open line, stay
0: with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio.
2: Welcome back. Open lines now until the bottom of the hour. And I'll tell you what, we'll also uh, throw open... Uh, questions from those in our YouTube live chat. Those of you who um, they're so faithful, so loyal, they join us every week when we're doing the uh, the YouTube stream, and uh, give them an opportunity to participate, and they can submit their questions on the uh, the live chat. Don Jeffries coming up at the – just after the bottom of the hour, Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All. And, of course, um, he also penned another very impressive uh, tome documenting the hidden history of the United States. He's a longtime JFK researcher. And uh, we will uh, talk to Don Jeffries at length coming up at the bottom of the hour. Just a, a note again for next week. Dr. John Hall will be with us. We'll talk about what's going on in Cuba. All these cases, Uh, one of our callers from London said it's now up to 21. These are embassy staff uh, employees and so forth in Cuba uh, who seem to be the victims of some sort of directed energy weapon. The mainstream media is not sure what to make of the story, but um, it does seem to – it sounds familiar for those of us familiar with the uh, whole targeted individual phenomenon. John uh, Hall will—he's um, an expert in this field. He'll—he'll uh, he'll talk to us about that next week. Nelson Thal, media scientist, and George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe on our panel uh, will also. Uh, well, lots going on next week, but I will give you a heads up at the in the second hour, the top. Beginning of the second hour, I will make a um, a big announcement uh, for the uh, for the Conspiracy Show program. So make sure you're staying tuned for that. All right, let's head out to Mississauga and uh, welcome Rob to the Conspiracy Show. Rob, good morning.
1: Thank you. How you doing, buddy? I'm well. How are you?
2: I'm fine, thanks.
1: So when I hear talk about Roswald, yeah. you know, we always hear about witnesses and, and then witnesses being threatened and recanting their stories and et cetera, et cetera. But if we reason it out right, I mean, there was a small ship recovered. It wasn't like as if it was some galaxy-class starship that could travel millions and billions of miles. So if it was a small ship, then it, maybe it was like a shuttle. So if it was a shuttle and there was some huge starship orbiting the Earth, cloaked or whatever, right. I mean, why didn't it come and retrieve it? So I'm really skeptical about it. Like it doesn't make really any any uh, logical sense.
2: Well, you should be skeptical, Rob. I mean, I'm skeptical. Um, but it was I just such a
1: small little ship that fed on a, sm- a tiny right. little transport. Well, it it, it
2: it appears there may have been two two discs, not one. We often hear of one, but there uh, one crash. But there it, it appears there were two debris sites, two crashes. Uh, I don't know. What to make of it? I mean, you raise some excellent points, but I do. Go, I go back to the witness, the witness testimony, and and uh, Don Schmidt has just done a, an incredible job documenting documenting witness testimony, deathbed testimonies, okay. and then and then the children and 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 I know that you can say, well, okay, that was seventy years ago. Memories become fogged and so forth. Um, but I mean, eyewitness testimony is is fundamental to our, our current judicial system. Uh, it is considered. You know evidence and something they witnessed something I, I don't believe it was a balloon now to your question about you know were these uh, shuttles that's an excellent point maybe we're not talking about something extraterrestrial maybe it's something we're talking about entities that have that have been here from the beginning you know we, we, we hear reports of of craft coming out of the ocean and and so forth maybe they're here maybe they've always been here what do you think about that Rob
1: Maybe it was one of those single-winged. Remember, they used to—they they were trying to build a, a you know, a, a, an airplane or a jet with just a single-wing airplane. Yes. Those? Yes. Maybe it was some futuristic uh, experimental plane that they were, or jet that they were trying to, uh, you know, just test, because that's where they test in Nevada, right? Uh,
2: uh, Possibly. Uh, Nick Redfern and uh, uh, Joseph Farrell have uh, very different uh, views. I'm not sure if Nick Redfern is on the same page as Farrell, but I I think he is. I mean, Farrell believes that that this could have been uh, experimental German aircraft based in Argentina, uh, and that you know the reason that they didn't they didn't announce this was imagine you know 1947 2 years after the war was supposedly over to say that the germans are still the nazis are still in operation and they're launching you know aerial vehicles uh, against the United States. I mean, that, that would have just sounded beyond the pale. So why not make up a story that sounds even more ridiculous and say, well, it's aliens. Oh, no, no, it wasn't an alien. It was a weather balloon.
1: I think that the origin or, or that the the answers to everything that we want to know about this planet somewhere lie in Egypt, you know, with the, with the pyramids and with the sphinx. Hmm.
2: There's
1: something buried under the sand there that, that we'll eventually find.
2: Fascinating. Fascinating idea. Take care. Rob, you raise a lot of great questions, and I hope you'll call again. All right, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740. Last call to the phones as we approach the bottom of the hour. Toll free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740, 866-740-4740. Why don't we go to the uh, the live uh, chat on YouTube? And uh, Ryan, what do we have?
7: Yeah, we have a a good question from Gord. I'm not familiar with this case, but uh, other Friends in YouTube are are saying it's a really good question. Gord wants to know if there are any updates on the Bank of Canada lawsuit uh, by constitutional lawyer Rocco Galati. And it's supported by former uh, Deputy Minister Paul Hellyer.
2: Right. Um, We had Rocco on the show at least once. I had him on Coast to Coast once as well. I think I had him on here twice, didn't we, Albert? Because uh, we did an update with him. Rocco Galati has taken this case and he... I think the last time we talked to him, it was at the Federal Appeals Court, one step below the Supreme Court. Not exactly sure. But he was being sort of stymied with procedural wrangling at every step of the way. Basically, what it is is this. We have the Bank of Canada, which unlike other banks, other central banks like the Federal Reserve or the Federal Bank of Italy or the Federal Bank, the, the, you know, the, uh, the Bank of England, those banks are all owned by they're private, they're central banks, but they're not owned by the people. the The Bank of Canada is owned by the citizens of Canada, and it was, in fact, nationalized uh, by president or uh, by Prime Minister uh, William Lyon Mackenzie King, I believe, in the 1930s, around 1937. I'm not sure. I'm a little sketchy on the actual date, but at that time, there was. Uh, passed into law something called the Bank of Canada Act, which means that the Bank of Canada's role is to lend money at zero or very low interest to various levels of government. So the municipal governments of Canada could go to the Central Bank, the Bank of Canada, and borrow money at zero interest. Provincial governments could do so, and the federal government can do so. There is a limit uh, it, I believe, it has to do with a percentage of the uh, the entire federal budget, so there are limits to that. But this this Bank of Canada Act was in operation until the early to mid nineteen seventies. So, for example, when the federal government wanted to build the St. Lawrence Seaway, a huge infrastructure undertaking, that was, and the Trans Canada Highway, those two things were paid for by borrowing from the Bank of Canada. When, uh, when we, uh, we started to, uh, you know, create the social safety net in Canada, uh, the, um, uh, you know, free medi- med- medical um, uh, assistance for people, free medical care, that was in large measure paid for through the Bank of Canada. What happened in the 1970s, however, was uh, Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, changed the way that we borrow money. We no longer borrow from the Bank of Canada. In other, in other words, we no longer borrow from ourselves. Now we go to foreign lenders and we pay huge interest rates. And this is how we have suddenly a $600 billion federal debt add on all of the provincial debts by going to federal, uh, to international lenders uh, and, and paying compound interest. Most of the debt we have is accumulated compound interest. We pay more in interest uh, every year to service the debt than we do on national defense, for example, or more than we do on health care. It's ridiculous. So, obviously, parliamentarians are ignoring the Bank of Canada Act, and Rocco Galati has taken this case. He's accused prime ministers, even the Queen of England, of uh, being involved in a criminal conspiracy it sounds, you know, pretty out there. But we do have. There's no denying what the Bank of Canada Act set out to accomplish, and the fact that we're no longer. Uh, we are no longer borrowing from the Bank of Canada. We have surrendered in many respects our sovereignty to foreign lenders, and uh, th- this is, in a nutshell, what the, what this case is all about. I don't know um, where Rocco Galati is at with us. I so will have to check in and maybe do an update. It's a fascinating case. And somebody asked Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about uh, the Bank of Canada, and they ca- captured this on YouTube. It was posted on YouTube, and of course, predictably, the Prime Minister said, oh, I don't deal in conspiracies. It's not a conspiracy. The, Act, the Bank of Canada Act, is, it, it's the, it was the law of the land, and it's being ignored. I don't, I don't see there's any way you can refute that. What else do we have, Ryan?
7: Oh, I was going to say it sounds classic of, of Pierre and, and justin of course uh, but our good friend yy yes. uh great question and you know yy was actually very very close uh, with the remote viewing today yy guessed a a ball blue white and green oh. and certainly oh, 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 oh. One of the one of the pom like the pom poms Oh, that's that. interesting mm-hmm. that's interesting
2: she uh, uh, okay what do you think guys she guessed and here i have the uh, the pom pom from the slipper and there's some white in it, there's some blue, there's some green, there's also some black.
7: Certainly pretty close.
6: Yeah, she got part of it. What do you think, Albert? Part of it, yeah. Is
7: she <laughs> deserving?
6: I, I I don't know. I think a hit would have been a woman's slipper. <laughs> <laughs> she got she got part of it. Well
2: yeah. you know what? I'll um
7: I think I'm gonna send YY out a mug. Cool. All right. There you go. Um, YY's question is, what do you think, uh, your opinion on what's causing, uh, in, in the David Politis' work, Missing 411, all these disappearances, what's causing them? Wow.
2: Ah, uh, you know what? It, it, it has me up a tree. It has me up a tree. I mean, the easy answer would to say that these are alien abductions, but I don't know. I mean, I'm skeptical of everything, as you know. uh it, it's a possibility, um, you know, that, that, um... Alien abductions or demonic abductions, if you want to go that route, are, are involved. But the clusters are fascinating, where these disappearances take place. Crater Lake, for example, up in, um, is that in uh, Washington State? I think Oregon. Oregon, right, Oregon, Crater Lake. There's a huge cluster of disappearances there. The clusters are, are fascinating to me, and the fact that these people, we're not talking about people that were mauled by a bear or taken by a mountain lion. I mean, in some cases, they are they are found nude with their clothes, you know, almost like folded neatly nearby, and and uh, or children being found in places there's no way they could have gotten to. Um, it, I, it has me up a tree, and um, I I believe I haven't read uh, Polidus's last volume, but I think he kind of is getting closer to sort of hinting at what he think is what he thinks is going on. Uh, but I, I I can't even hazard a guess outside you know the alien abduction. Uh, Realm as a possibility, and that that has to be considered remote. However, when you eliminate everything else, however seemingly impossible it may seem, that's your answer. I didn't do a great job answering your question. Why? Why? But um, it, hey, you know it's one of those great riddles we may never solve. But that that would be my my um, my best guess at this point. We're talking about some sort of interdimensional extraterrestrial. Um, being or entity that's responsible for these disappearances. All right. Any others from our live YouTube chat?
7: Yeah, Merlin has one. Merlin wants to know if you know anything about uh, this, this new scientific theory called the grand solar minimum, where growing food is going to become a real problem in the next few years. The grand solar minimum. No, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with that term. Um,
2: but back in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, this theory sounds familiar. We had, uh, and this, this was back in the day when people were warn, warning us about global cooling. So before that, and then, and then after that, we had the great, the great oil crash, um, you know, peak oil. So every, every few years, these theories about, you know, humanity's demise comes down the pipe. And, and back in the late 60s, there was, there was a whole book about how we were not going to be able to produce enough food and uh, this was going to cause, you know, a huge crash in, in, in population. Uh, and, and these things never, never happen. Uh, the, the fact is we are becoming so incredibly efficient and uh, at, at producing more and more food. And I know that GMOs are problematic for many people and, 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 and uh, agricultural practices, uh, factory farms and so forth. There are some problems with it, no question. Um, but... I mean, we can feed the world uh, many times over. It's it's not a food production problem. It's a food distribution problem. It's a it's a political issue. Uh, it's not a resource issue. And uh, so, on the surface, I would have to dismiss that as a possibility. Uh, there are other problems, of course. You know, uh, relating to listen. Climate change is real. I'm not denying climate. Uh, the, the question is who is responsible for it. But there there will be you know. And the Earth is cooling. I believe that's the long. The the, the short term is that the Earth will actually cool, uh, and there will be zones uh, uh, that are currently temperate zones where we may not be able to, to produce. Uh, you know, just as a micro here in in uh, up in Thornhill where I live, uh, and many of us in Southern Ontario who have gardens. You know, I'm just starting now to harvest tomatoes. It was such a horrible year with all the precipitation and uh, no sunshine and cool weather. Uh, it was a horrible growing
6: season. So, you know, we'll continue to see that. Comer is the name of the organization suing the Bank of Canada. Comer. All right. Yeah. Thank you. If they Google that, then a press release should come up. Yeah. Comer versus Bank of Canada. Excellent. Good work, Albert. Let's Yeah,
2: let's see if we can get um, Rocco Galati back on uh, to discuss that. Uh, the, just quickly, what's going to happen with the world's population? It'll probably peak at around 12, 15 billion, and then it's going to start to... Stabilize and then decline, actually. I'm not concerned about overpopulation, and I'm not concerned about a lack of food. Don Jeffries, my guest on the other side. Survival of the Richest and Hidden History. Stay with us.
0: PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. or toll free at 1-866-740-4740 You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, welcome back.
2: Don Jeffries has been researching the JFK assassination since the mid 1970s. His first published book, the acclaimed 2007 novel The Unreals, has been compared to Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. Uh, then Hidden History, his first nonfiction book, uh, the um, revised edition from 2016 with a foreword by Roger Stone. And uh, his latest is Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All. Don Jeffries, how are you, my friend? Welcome back.
10: Hi, thanks. How are you?
2: Great, great. How's the, how's the book doing, by, by the way, Survival of the Richest?
10: Uh, It's gotten a lot of critical praise. Uh, It needs more sales. The Amazon rankings—it was doing great. Uh, Hopefully, it'll pick up again once I do more interviews. But everybody that's uh, you know has acclaimed it. I mean, has uh, reviewed it so far has said nothing but good things about it.
2: Excellent. Well, we're going to get you back on coast to coast as well, real soon, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll draw some more attention to this fine book. Uh, I want to ask you just – let's give us a – let's look at a snapshot of what's going on right now in terms of the, the U.S. economy. And, and um, I noted the second quarter uh, GDP is up to about 3 percent. Um, I think the jobless rate um, fell something like 14,000 last week. I mean, I don't know. Is it getting better? I'm hearing sort of mixed mixed reports. Obviously – you know the, the, the hurricane Irma and things is going to set things back. But what's your what's your your gut feeling about the the momentum in the economy?
10: Well, certainly the the Trump administration, like previous administrations, will, will always paint the rosiest picture possible. So uh, the unemployment, the jobless figures that you mentioned, are the same statistics that he very correctly identified as bogus during his campaign. Because mm-hmm. as you know, they only count. Those people who are presently receiving unemployment benefits. So when the unemployment rate goes down, actually probably means more people out of work, because people just—they're uh, not—they're they're, uh, unemployment benefits have ran out. of You know, we still have 94 million uh, adult Americans out of work, as far as I know. Uh, the H-1B visa program was not ended back in April when it could have been. That would have helped a lot. Um, who knows what's going on with immigration? Trump is sending mixed signals there. If DACA happens and. Who knows uh, how many more people get to amnesty? Again, you're going to have that many more people in the country to compete for scarcity of jobs. So, I, I don't hold that much hope for the economy. I, I, you know, so far I've been very disappointed in Trump. Uh, something has to be done. A lot has to be done. But I mean, you know, we we can get into deeper things about how you know, no one's even talking about the the banking system. We have to have a, an honest money system. And Trump actually talked about auditing the Fed. I don't hear him talking about that now. So there's. And obviously, the, the way we continue our foreign misadventures, that's why it's so disappointing. We're supposed to put America first, and we're definitely not doing that. America first doesn't uh, uh, involve a saber rattling with North Korea and bombing Syria and so forth.
2: It seems on the surface that uh, the globalists uh, are, are winning. That maybe, you know, he surrounded himself with a lot of CFR types and, and Wall Street types and globalists, some, some of his supporters. Uh, we're saying, well, he's—it's the old adage: you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And and but it seems to me like the globalists have his ear and they're winning.
10: Yeah, well, I just—I—I've I've never seen anything like this. The most remarkable thing ever, as far as I can determine, unless you count maybe Bannon, maybe General Flynn, both of whom are gone. Flynn never even had a chance. Everyone in the Trump administration that has any power or influence uh, didn't support him, his campaign, and many were never Trumpers. He's got, uh, you know, Nikki Haley is the U.N. ambassador, who is a very strident never-Trumper. And she's, you know, over there, you know, beating the drums for war, you know, like all the neocons are. And I just don't understand. This is really unprecedented. Every other administration at least had a, you know, going back to Kennedy with the Irish Mafia and Jimmy Carter's Georgia Mafia. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan even had Pat Buchanan in the White House for a while as a speechwriter. I don't see any of that with Trump. I mean, where's Roger Stone? He probably should have been chief of staff. Uh, why wasn't uh, Judge Napolitano the nominee for the Supreme Court? Um, you know, where's uh, Dinesh D'Souza, uh, Paul I- Craig Roberts? There are lots of great people out there on the right who could be in there and having Trump ears, Trump's ear, who actually support it. Pat Buchanan would be wonderful yes. to be in there. Yes. That's why so many people are disappointed because I don't, I don't understand the idea that he's, you know, he's somehow powerless to appoint who he wants. I, I, I really don't get that, and he hasn't even tried to get any outsiders in, as far as I know.
2: Yes, he seems to have effectively uh, isolated himself. Um, I want to just shift gears here and, t- and talk about um, artificial intelligence, because if we think that jobs are scarce now, you know, these manufacturing jobs that Trump is talking about bringing back, they're not coming back. And in in fact, oh, I, recently, well, within the last six months, the governor of Arizona was on a talk show Uh, Talking with great joy about um, this um, company that was coming to Arizona, that was going to be one of the the main companies, uh, you know, moving towards the driverless car, and I mean, the 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 statistics it's something like is it one in four or one in five uh, jobs in America are tied to driving, driving a truck or driving a cab, or I mean, artificial intelligence is is, and and. Technology. I mean, it's going to it's going to leave millions and millions of people on the curb.
10: Right, and, and and these are these are the things. Like you talk about the factories coming back, that may be an impossibility, but we have to address it somehow. And the problem is everything we talk about, that I talk about, whether it's politics or the you know the economy or the Survival of the Richest um, uh, book, it, it involves the fact that we have awful leadership, whether they're incompetent, corrupt, or both. They just – that's why this this requires some real out-of-the-box and big-picture thinking as to how to uh, address all the artificial intelligence, how to incorporate robotics, how to incorporate technology to make everyone's lives better and more comfortable, which we should be able to do. But unfortunately, there's so much wealth accumulated at the top, and and those people are not going to give up their creature comforts, and they're certainly, I'm sure, looking forward to having robots so they eventually maybe have to pay anyone. But for the rest of the people, the great mass of people, you have to either decide, or are you just going to consign them to uh, worse than third world uh, poverty status? Are they just going to be dying in the gutter? What are you going to do with them? And again, we don't have any leadership. There, there's. I mean, Something as simple as Social Security, they can't even solve that because they won't address the core issue, which is the fact that all income is not taxed for Social Security. Only the first $119,000 are. And it should be strictly means tested. That's the only way to save it. But instead, their typical uh, solution is to keep uh, raising their retirement age. So with robotics, they'll come up with a, a, an infantile solution like that that is no solution. But that's that's the problem we face with every one of these issues. We do have monumental uh, problems out there. but they can be solved with, with some kind of honest thinking and, and non-corrupt and, and, and competent leaders.
2: Well, the, the state of Hawaii has floated the idea. I mean, they're seriously considering this, instituting a guaranteed income. I mean, on the right. surface, it's an idea that I find reprehensible because right. I just think it, it just totally – there's no incentive uh, to work at that point. But right. uh, on the other, on the flip side, if there aren't going to be any jobs, right. what are you going to do? Um, with, you know, millions of citizens. So what what do you think of the idea of a guaranteed income?
10: Well, yeah, I mean, again, it's kind of a defeatist position, but I I don't see any other alternative at this point because once the robotics kicks in and uh, the increases in technology and and the fact that, uh, you know, all the outsourcing and uh, visa workers and so forth, you're going to have so many citizens. And, of course, this applies around the world, but I'm speaking specifically of America what are you going to do with those? You know, you might at that point have 150 to 200 million adult million uh, Americans out of age. If you have 94 million now, who knows? But what are you going to do with those people? So you have to come up with either they can you know have this watered down welfare and food stamps, which the people who aren't working resent, or you can come up with some kind of a plan like that. And I, again, it's certainly like you, it's not my ideal plan, but. Unfortunately, we've created this mess, and and it's been created by just an incredible amount of greed at the top, uh, because the wealth is so concentrated in so few hands, uh, and we don't seem to be able to want to or come up with any kind of way to try to distribute that down a little bit more fairly. Uh, So I I don't know right now of any better solution, but again, if you had honest and competent leadership... You probably could sit down, you know, if you had people like Ron Paul on the right, Dennis Kucinich on the left, Cynthia McKinney on the left, Pat Buchanan on the right. Thought so they all sat down, I think they could probably come up with some kind of solution that uh, would work.
2: Well, and and unfortunately, the climate is such that that's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, where are the the liberals of good conscience who used to, you know, stand up for the working man? Uh, they would have something in common with with Trump. Maybe not the the other rank-and-file members of the the, the Republican Party in the House, but there is not... I mean, that dialogue is not happening. We'll uh, come back and continue to uh, speak with Donald Jeffries, Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of
0: Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. On Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Don Jeffrey stays with
2: us. His latest is Survival of the Richest. Uh, one of the chapters you, you in the book you dedicate to um, uh, Huey Long, who was the governor of uh, Louisiana, and was kind of a, an arch rival of Franklin Roosevelt. He opposed the New Deal, um, and um, later became a senator. Uh, was assassinated, but he uh, is sort of the uh, the archetypal um, uh, populist. Tell us a little bit about about Huey Long
10: my political hero. <clears throat> has been since I was a kid, and uh, you're right. He is the, the epitome of the populace, and that's what I consider myself. He was powerful. He was always for the little guy. As a lawyer, he always said, I never took a case against a poor man. And he took on the most powerful enemies imaginable, from the Rockefellers and Standard Oil to all the big banks. He was one of the early critics of the Fed. Uh, he was against World War I, and I think he probably would have been uh, among those on the left. Where we were substantial numbers that were against our entrance into World War Two until Pearl Harbor. Uh, he was. I, I think that if he had lived, there's no telling what would have happened because I think he could easily have become president, and I think that's why he was assassinated. But people don't realize what an impact he had on national policy. He really one of the few thing good things that came out of FDR's New Deal was the National Labor Relations Act of 1938. People don't know much about that legislation. It's probably the most important legislation in the history of America as far as working people are concerned. Until that time, there was no such thing. It brought us the 40-hour work week, brought us the concept of overtime, sick leave and vacation leave, pensions and so forth. Now, Huey Long... Was lobbying early on. He wanted a thirty-hour, maybe twenty-hour work week. And this is the 1930s. I can't imagine when he'd look at today, at the number of people unemployed and the technology, and he'd probably be advocating for a ten-hour work week. No, you know, I well, would think, In well, other I'm,
2: words, I mean, that was that would have been a sort of a temporary uh, solution to, uh, you know, during during the depression, in in order, in order to sort of share the wealth in terms of jobs. So instead of one person working forty, you have two people working twenty.
10: Well, I don't know that he thought it was temporary I think it because if you listen to it, his speeches are just incredible they still they still i I urge anybody to just you can find his speeches online and he's just a captivating speaker. He had more mail than any United States senator they've received ever before or since uh people used to come he was he was like a rock star and used to watch him speak personally in the senate back when you could do that but uh I think that he his speeches talked about he wanted more leisure time he was advocating for every worker to have three months off every year. Just imagine that. And uh, to enjoy the blessings of liberty bestowed by God, he was very religious, and mm-hmm. his speeches are just wonderful. I'm like and no other politician has ever advocated that so much directly be given. I'm not talking about you know typical liberal Democrats uh, with their rhetoric about you know creating a, uh, another bureaucracy and a program where something may trickle to to a few, but most of it gets lost in the in, in the red tape.
2: Right, like the Great Society of LBJ,
10: exactly. which solved and, nothing. Yeah, and that's why Huey Long opposed the New Deal, which is probably, I think, superior in in most ways to what the, the Great Society was. But uh, Huey Long wanted to bypass all that, and he was talking, most people don't realize his tax plan was very detailed. He worked with economists, uh, you know, renegade economists. And they were going to exempt the first million dollars of income. This was in the 1930s. That would be like what, 50 million today? Right. So right. nobody, virtually no one, would have been paying taxes except for the absolute one percent. That's why he was so dangerous. He wasn't talking about setting up a program where everyone paid tax, and the, the gr- vast uh, majority of the taxes would be paid by the middle class and everybody. That's what happens to all these programs. So if there is a redistribution, it basically goes from the upper middle class and middle class uh, trickling down a little bit to the poor. Right. But because of the loopholes and taxes and so forth, the very wealthy uh, always got away from right. it. Right. So he case. wasn't I mean,
2: talking about the run of the mill rich. You know, someone who owned a mansion. He, you know. Right. He, he was talking about like people like the the Carnegies and the yeah. the Mellons and the well, right. today would have been the Forbes and the, uh, right. the that we're talking about the the one. One one thousandth of a percent, not the one percent.
10: Right. And that's and that's what he, he called him out by name. And he, he made a life. I mean, the, the Rockefellers and Standard Oil, I believe, were the main people, uh, you know, they were behind his, uh, trying to get him impeached constantly because he had fought Standard Oil. And uh, you know, he, he had so many enemies. And if you if you look at what happened after he died, he should be a hero to the left because he he walked the walk. I mean, you go line and I I've, I've been able to establish a relationship with his great-granddaughter who is continuing his work or trying to continue his work as best she can, and she runs a website that that has all the stats there for people. And I I put a lot of them in the book where it shows you this guy, you know, his his policies basically eliminated property taxes for everyone but the very wealthy. He uh basically did away with he stopped foreclosures on farmers and the poor. He um uh, saved every household a substantial amount in utility bills things that everyone notices you know if somebody passes a program most people don't notice the effects of that program but if you suddenly are paying you know 100 dollars less a month in utilities you're going to notice that and you're going to love the guy that did it and that's why he was so beloved by black and white or both i mean he Alone in that in that era in the South in the 1930s, he never played racial politics as opposed to KKK strongly. That's why he was so dangerous. He would have he would have been anathema to today's left because he would not have played identity politics, and he would have done like what I try to do, and, and when I talk about this stuff, is to focus on class and not uh, you know race, sex, gender, religion, all that because that just serves to divide people and the, and the very wealthy love to have people do it. They love that kind of fractionalization, because that uh, distracts people from the core problem, which is the people at the top have taken pretty much everything.
2: It, it, it's, you're right. And it, it seems to me that, that that's the, the Democratic Party. Yes, the Republican Party is in big trouble, because they just don't seem to stand for anything. But the Democratic Party uh, have gone so far to the left uh, uh, that... You need a viable two-party system, and I don't know what's going to happen, whether there's going to be a rise of the Trump party or what's, if he runs as an independent, if he gets elected. I don't know what the future of the Democratic or the, De- uh, the Republican party is in the well, next I, I don't, think because,
10: I don't I don't think there'll ever be another Republican president. I, I, I don't know if Trump will be reelected. We'll have to see. But uh, because the Democrats are, are, you know, are despised, too. But Trump was elected, uh, you know, it's the first time I ever voted for a Republican, and I think a lot of people were like me, because we didn't think he was a Republican. He thought he sounded like a populist, and he was an yes. independent. Now that he's governing, like, I mean, uh, you know, we, we didn't vote for Jeb
2: Bush or no. Ted Cruz. exactly.
10: And who, that's who? what we're getting, and uh, you know, they will, those guys, Paul Ryan, I mean, this guy's one of the most odious politicians that, that ever lived. He wouldn't get, you know, thirty percent of the vote if he ran. He's completely delusional. The problem is on the left, they have when you say they drifted far left, well they have on, on, on social and cultural issues, most of them. But as in terms of civil liberties, they they are they uh, most of them seem to oppose the first amendment. I mean they just want to get people fired
2: for what they say. And it's
10: it's awful. There are no civil libertarians there. All they care about is identity politics. And they offend a huge amount of people who will never, you know, will never ever come around to transgender bathrooms and that kind of stuff. And it's, but that's what they focus on, and that's that's fine if they want to make that an issue. But they stress that, and you don't see any peace Democrats beyond the Dennis Kuciniches and and Cynthia McKinney who are no longer welcome in the halls of Congress. The ones that are left there, they keep getting elected. They're all pro-war Democrats, and that's why Trumps only good press he's had since he's been in office is when he bombed Syria, he bombed... Isn't that
2: Trump. interesting? It's so yeah. telling, isn't it?
10: Suddenly acting presidential, I say. <laughs> you know?
2: Yes, isn't that interesting? Is, yeah. So, uh, I mean, are there any Huey Longs out there in the reeds that, that you're aware of that may be considering, uh, or, you know, maybe they could run as an independent?
10: Well, the only I mean, they're, 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 uh, Cynthia McKinney has a lot of Huey Long in her. And uh, she ran for the Green Party president I voted for her in 2008. But, I mean, you know, she didn't get very many votes. Dennis Kucinich ran for president once. I think he has a lot of – you know, they called him a populist mayor of Cleveland back when he got his start. He has a lot of populism in him. But, you know, neither one of them are in Congress anymore. I, I, I don't know any young people that are in there. The popul- hopefully, you know, maybe some people will be inspired uh, by Bernie Sanders, who, again, incorporated a lot of populism into his campaign, and Trump. Because if you combine – some of their elements, if you combine Bernie Sanders' uh, calling out of, uh, of the disparity of wealth with Trump's talking about uh, you know, the awful uh, performance of the mainstream media and, and, and uh, mentioning all the lies and the corruption and draining the swamp, which obviously he's not doing, but someone needs to drain the swamp. And I think that's a, until that swamp is drained, or at least until we have at least a majority of people in Congress that are at least honest... That are not uh, so easily corruptible. I, I, I don't know at any point. I think Trump is proving if, if, if he was sincere, it's probably proving that one person can't accomplish this. So there has to be some kind of movement. I think things are going to reach a critical mass because Trump's base is already burning their MAGA hats and so forth. They're they're already becoming disillusioned with him. And uh, Bernie Sanders, a lot of his people were disillusioned with the way he collapsed and and just supported Hillary Clinton when there was such obvious voting fraud there and they stole the nomination from him. So. People are not going to be satisfied. I don't think in four years, I think you'll have the lowest voter turnout on record if you see Paul Ryan running against uh, Kamala Harris, the new, the latest new star, who again is just has a history of insider type uh, corruption, and you know, she set up an awful immigrant program out there in California where she gave uh, um, basically a free pass to immigrant criminals, and, and here we have you know our prisons full of American citizens who aren't getting free passes, so.
0: You know, I I
10: don't—those kind of choices, I can't see people—or if The Rock, they're talking about the former wrestler-turned-actor, The Rock, running it.
2: Right. Trump may have—for many people, he was the last best chance, and in less than a year, it seems like he's crashing and burning and capitulating. Are you—are you— Still, are you fearful, we're just about out of time, Don, but are you fearful of civil war because of, obviously, race relations that are at an all-time low, and then we have the haves and the have-nots and, and so forth? It's just, it just seems to be the perfect storm.
10: Oh, it, it really does. I am, and, and I think you could break down along so many lines. You talk about racial lines, class lines, cultural lines, There's, so, and again, the people just – if the Trump – if Trump ends up completely betraying his base, if those people get, in, you know, end up uh, getting to the point where they uh, will go commit acts of violence, or Bernie Sanders people go, go out there, there's so many people that are mad because so many people realize things are wrong, realize that things are corrupt. They may be pointing fingers in different directions, but no one thinks. Only people that have wonderful lives and are, you know, are making lots of money and their kids' futures seem secure or they're in the corridors of power, those are the only people that would sit there and give a thumbs up to the way America is being run. The rest of us realize it's yeah, it's headed for civil war or, or economic collapse or, or both, perhaps.
2: Don Jeffries, Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All, the website donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. Thank you, Don.
10: Thanks for having
2: me, Richard. Talk to you on Coast next month. All right, my thanks to Ian Robertson, Albert Venzel, Ryan White, all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.